0: we are celebrating uh, 32 years of being planted here from First Baptist Church. And I too just want to say thank you to those of you who are in this very room. You were one of the originals. You stepped out. You came to this side of town. uh, You listened as the Lord so led. And we planted here um, at the corner of J.C. Shack and Perimeter Road. And we now hold the responsibility and the great privilege of continuing to press on and to be the light of Jesus Christ in this community. And so we are grateful. So thank you for those who uh, were the ones who stepped out first and we continue to follow as the Lord so leads. If you're here for the first time today, thank you for coming. Uh, maybe you're here because on your mailbox or on your front door was hanging a, a gift, a, a DVD, um, and some information inside. There was a card inside that bag and it asked. This question, who is Jesus? We wanted to invite you today because we feel like this is the most pressing and important question that anyone can ask. And so if we were to go around Valdosta and all of Lowndes County and we were to ask this question, who is Jesus? And we took a survey and we collected all of the information and we said, we have the answer based on Lowndes County. We would be a confused people because there are many different thoughts and opinions on Jesus. There are many people who don't even believe that Jesus exists. But for those who do believe that he exists, and in fact, many people in local churches can be confused at who Jesus really is. And so if you've grown up in the local church and you see this title today and you go, man, I'm gonna check out, already know the answer, I can tell you. Well, I wonder if you could explain it in this way uh, with these five answers today. And I hope that you can with confidence, but I hope that you would listen in and that you would measure your life according to what you hear today and that you would take this message and that you would go and meet with people who are asking the question, who is Jesus? And you could give them good, solid, biblical answers. And so before us, we hold God's word. It's precious to us. It's valuable. And we run to the word today to say, give us answers on who is Jesus. We don't want to rely on our own opinions because those opinions shift. They go up, they go down. We cannot trust our own opinions. We must trust in the word of God. And so if you will turn with me to Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one. If you do not have a Bible, if you'll look in front of you, there's a pew Bible there. Take that one. Maybe you have to look down the pew a little ways and say, hey, pass me that Bible on down if you don't mind and turn to page 983 and you will be with us at Colossians chapter one. And not only can you hold this Bible and and use this Bible in the service today, but please take this Bible with you as a gift and continue to read and learn about Jesus. We would be thrilled that you would take that as a gift today. So the question that we're asking is, who is Jesus? And we're gonna have five solid answers based on the word. And I wanna remind you that we could find many answers that all come together as one uh, throughout the Bible. We're just taking one passage today, Colossians chapter one, 15 through 20. And we find here five answers uh, that come together on who is Jesus. So number one, he is God in the flesh, meaning that he came and he lived among us. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You may ask this question, what does God look like? Is he big? Is he strong? Does he have all of these muscles? Or is he the old grandpa with the long white beard, kind of looking like that guy around Christmas time? Who is God? What does he look like? And if God would just show himself to me, if God would come down to earth and say, hey, here I am, you've been wanting to know what I look like, this is me. Then you may say, I would believe. But it's interesting that we have such confidence in ourselves that we would say we would believe if God showed himself. Because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God came as fire by night and a cloud by day. For 40 years, he met with his people, the Israelites. He provided for them daily. And yet they still stood in unbelief. And so it's rather arrogant of us to say that if God came down right now and showed himself that we would fully believe because there's a good chance that we still would not believe. But here's the good news. He did come. He came down and he has revealed himself. He came to live among us. God's love, his power, his wisdom, his patience, his kindness was on display in the life of Jesus Christ meaning he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus came and lived among us. He tabernacled among us in the flesh so that he could be seen, so that he could be touched, so that he could be heard, so that he could do the will of the father. He is the image of the invisible God. And so this word "image" is a familiar word for us. It's where we get our word "icon." In the Greek, it's "ikon." Last night there was a man named LeBron James who's playing for another team. Just want to remind you, Michael Jordan didn't do that. Okay, but he only did two. And that was towards the end of his career. Don't hold it against him. But so everybody was glued in maybe to the screen around 10.30 last night at tip off as he's now a Los Angeles Laker. Why do they care about LeBron James? Because he's an icon. He's an image of greatness. He in himself is not greatness in the full, but he is an image of a part of greatness. And he plays on a team of greatness. When he puts that jersey on, that's an iconic jersey. There are many men who have come before him in greatness and played the game. And so he's an icon, he's an image of greatness. But when we talk about Jesus being in the image of God, it's not that he resembles greatness, but he indeed is greatness. And so it helps for us to understand that he is a prototype, that which is drawn from the cup, that which is coming forth that is greatness indeed. Hebrews 1 verse 3 explains it this way. He is the exact imprint of his nature, meaning he is the exact imprint of God, the father. So if you're saying, if God would just show himself, I would believe, and indeed he has, he has come in the flesh. But then you may say, but I wasn't here. I missed it. Why didn't he come when I'm here on earth? Isn't that just like us to ask that question? We expect everything to come on our time. Why did Jesus come earlier and not now? Well, in fact, Jesus came at the perfect time, which we'll look at in just a moment. But many people have come before us, obviously. We read about them in history books and we read biographies about them. And we're interested, we're intrigued. No greater book than the Bible that we have before us, which explains in great detail and all the details that we need of who is Jesus. One of those verses, Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So did you catch that? In in the fullness of time, meaning it was perfect timing. It's God's timing as he had planned to send his son 2000 years ago. And it's recorded for us right here in the Word. And so you may say, Can the Word be trusted? I hear you speak of the Bible. Can I trust these words on these pages? I mean, it's been passed down from generation to generation. Let me tell you the good news about the Bible there are more true manuscripts when it comes to the Old Testament and New Testament. Of scripture than any other manuscripts that exist. The only ones that come close are these. Aristotle of his writings, the poetics, we find them originally written at about 343 BC. And yet the earliest copy we have dated is 1100 AD. And that is a 1400 year gap to have an original manuscript 1400 years later and there are only five manuscripts that are in existence only five but then you go to Caesar who composed his history of the Gallic Wars between 58 and 50 BC and yet the earliest copy we have is dated 1,000 years after his death 1,000 years and only nine to ten copies exist that's all But when it just comes to the New Testament, only only the New Testament, it's almost embarrassing in contrast. After the early papyrus manuscripts were discovered, an abundance of others came to light. So we have manuscripts dating just three generations. Three generations after the actual life of Jesus. Only 40 to 60 years after they were written by the apostles. And not five or nine copies but 24,000 plus manuscripts are in existence today. The original and copies of the original pass down more original manuscripts for us to behold today so that we can make sure that what we have here is not man's opinion and changed by man, but it is indeed the original. And so if you're doubting, then you have to ask yourself this question. Do you trust any historical facts? But if you can trust anything that's historical, you can indeed trust the Bible. So number one, the word reveals to us that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is, God in the flesh. But number two, he is the creator of all things. Verse 16, read with me. For By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so this word create means to produce from nothing. Jesus didn't gather up a bunch of material things in the beginning and say I need to create something. No, he took that which was nothing and he made something amazing. Romans 11:36 for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This means that by him by Jesus, all things were created. We have more evidence of this in John chapter one. And we say, we see this in the creation of man He made man in our image. There was God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit right there in the garden. There is Jesus. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, Hey, good job, dad. Way to go. Way to create. No, Jesus himself is creator. He is there to create with the father, with the Holy spirit. He is the creator and so he just didn't come into being in the middle of all of this he's always been and by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible thrones dominions rulers authorities all things were created through him and for him our creator who made us and all things Visible and invisible came to live among us, us being his creation, placing himself within the time frame of his created world. So, if this is indeed true, we believe it to be true, why does his creation refuse to acknowledge him as creator? Why do we have such a hard time acknowledging that he is indeed the creator? If we see this right before us, well, Romans 1, 18 through 20 answers it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, no excuses. God is creator, but yet we suppress this truth with our sin. When I was young, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, I would get scared at night. I did sleep with the light on. Uh, But I would hear uh, little creaks uh, in the house. We live in a very old house. I mean, it's the original uh, pastor's house that was right by the original Baptist church that sat right beside it. And so it's, it's an old home and I love that home, but it made funny noises at night. And when it did, I would throw the covers over my head and then I would put my ears tight or my hands tight against my ears and I would begin to hum. And that made me feel safe. It made me feel like, okay, if someone is in the house, uh, they won't find me here. But yet when we look back on that, we see how silly it is for me to throw the covers over my head and, and hands over my ears and to hum and to say, this doesn't exist. The fear doesn't exist. The danger imposed does not exist. But if there was real danger in the house in that moment, indeed it did exist. And I was not gonna be saved by throwing the covers over my head. In the same way, We, as God's creation, because of our sin, we put a blanket over our heads, meaning that we feel comfortable in the world. And so we take the blanket of the world and we put it over us and we put our hands over our ears and we say, I don't wanna hear anything. I just wanna believe what my heart wants to believe and I'm gonna hum that. And that's gonna keep me safe from a mighty, powerful God. But one day those covers will be stripped away and you will be before God. And you will realize that that method of pretending that he's not real did not save you from the wrath to come. That's what we see in Romans 1, 18 through 20. Although it's clear to be seen, it is suppressed. They suppress the truth. It will do us no good to pull the covers over our heads and suppress the truth. So what we must understand and trust in God's word is that Jesus is the creator of all things. Look around, see what he has made. Trust that he has made it. Number three, he is the sustainer of all creation. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This word before gives us the idea that before anything else, there was God. And there is Jesus in the very beginning. And since he's before all things and didn't just kind of show up in the middle of everything happening, that means he can sustain everything. He holds it together. Jesus is the glue. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus made this statement, he was speaking to religious leaders and he might as well have just said at that time, I'm creator, I'm God, I'm almighty. Because when he says that he was before Abraham, this made them angry because they looked at father Abraham as their heritage, as the one they come from. And they're saying, you're saying you're greater than Abraham. You're just a man. He said, no, I come before him. I am the great I am because he is the great I am, he is the sustainer. I'll read to you again, Hebrews 1, 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he continues on. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I love that. Easily he can uphold the universe. And how does he do it? By the word of his power, by the power of his word. He upholds the universe, meaning that without Christ, The world that he created would fall apart. So yes, if the sun intensifies in its heat, if we continue to melt the polar ice caps, uh, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen to our earth? Rest assured that nothing's gonna happen to it unless he allows it to happen. And when it's all done, it's because he says it's done. He holds it all together. He is the sustainer. So if you're not in Christ, just know that the earth that you live on and especially this country that you live in and in the, in the peace, it's because of him. And if you are a follower of Christ, know that he will never leave you, that every day, no matter what you face, and you've realized this as a Christian, that things didn't get easier when you became a follower of Christ, they're hard. But yet he sustains you day after day after day. In the moment when you feel like it's over, in the moment when you feel like you gotta quit. No, Jesus says, I'm sustaining you. I'm holding you together. I will never let you go. Just yesterday, I was upstairs yesterday afternoon, fitting together some uh, furniture. I uh, took the wife to Ikea, so I'm good for the next few months. I'm in good favor with the wife and I was putting together everything and, and I realized I had some leftover parts, which I tend to do when I put stuff together. But it was okay because these were intentional leftover parts. It, it meant that, hey, if you mess something up here, a little rod, whatever, we gave you another one because we know you're not used to doing these things. I really appreciate that kindness. But other times when I put stuff together, I've had leftover parts that were not supposed to be left over. I mean, it was quite significant. They needed to be somewhere on that playset um, or that kid's bike, whatever it may be. And I'm thinking it's good, it, it's rolling just fine. I mean, it's upholding just fine, just give it a chance. Okay, what are we doing? We're making our kids the, the test dummies. And and so we take the leftover parts and we put them in a leftover bin that sits in my garage off to the side. And so it's a leftover parts bin. And, and you know the leftover parts bin, you just put random parts there. And then after years you look and you go, I don't even know what this goes to, but I kept collecting it just in case I needed it someday but I'm just gonna throw it out. And then you start collecting a whole nother leftover parts bin. You may feel as if by God creating you and you being on this earth, that you're just a leftover part and that you're just sitting in the leftover parts bin. And you're thinking, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What good am I accomplishing? I just felt like a leftover part, no use. But hear this clearly. Jesus didn't leave any leftover parts once he set his universe in motion. Every part has a purpose and every part is held together by Christ. Not only do you have a purpose of being here, but he holds you together to make sure that you fulfill it for his glory. Christian, you can have every bit of confidence that no matter what you're facing right now, you're not a leftover part. You're a significant part designed by his will for his glory to do great things. Do you believe that? He is the sustainer holding us together. I love what this commentator says. Every moment in heaven and earth is directed by Jesus Christ. By him, all things consist. He is not only at the head of the spiritual realm, but he upholds all things. All movements, developments, actions are borne up and directed by the word of his power. Glimpses of this flashed forth even in the days of his flesh. The winds and the waves were submissive to his word. Sickness and disease fled by his command. Demons were subjected to his authoritative bidding, even the dead came forth in response to his mighty declaration. and all through the ages, today, the whole of creation is directed by the will and word of its heir, maker and upholder. Jesus is the sustainer of all creation, and even today, in this perimeter celebration, in this service. He is sustaining us, he is holding us together. This is Jesus. Number four, he is the head of the church. So speaking of the church, speaking of this service, us gathering together, he is the head of the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. So you might ask this question, what impact does the head have on the body? Well, if you sever the head from the body, the body ceases to exist. But when it comes to Christ and the church or you and Christ, if you are severed from the head, he doesn't cease to exist, but you cease to exist, meaning you remain in the deadness of your sin. But as the body of Christ, we have come together and Christ is our head. But if Jesus is not the head, if you're not under the headship of Christ, then you are under the headship of Adam, meaning that you are disjointed from others and disconnected from God. And you say, well, I don't wanna be under the headship of either one. You don't have a choice. You, you don't get to pick that. Every one of us in the room have been under the headship of Adam by being born into this world. Meaning you were born into sin. Meaning you were born into outright rebellion before God. You were born into death, all die. You say, where are you getting this from? I do not hear this in any other book, but the Bible reveals it to us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, we live in a worldly system that makes distinctions based on race and gender and occupation and political affiliation, but there are only two distinctions that matter. Are you under the headship of Adam or are you under the headship of Jesus Christ? If you are under the headship of Adam and you go into the day of judgment under the headship of Adam, he's not gonna save you. He's not gonna speak for you on your behalf. He only cares about himself. But if you're under the headship of Christ, Christ will stand in your place. He will speak for you. He will defend you. He has saved you. Which one do you stand under today? Because if you doubt Jesus, if you say Jesus isn't real, if you say, I don't like to think of Jesus as being the creator and coming to the flesh and being sustainer and being the head of the church, then you're not under the headship of Christ, you're under the headship of Adam and you have no defense before a holy God. It is important that you hear this today in church. It is important that we take this message to people. Can I just ask you a probing question right now? Have you gone grown cold to this truth today? Are you cold to this? Meaning that there are so many more important matters right now than this, that people hear that there are two headships, that's it. Have you gotten caught up with the race issue? Have you gotten caught up with the gender issue? What about your occupation? Are you all about that occupation? Or my goodness, are you drowning in the political affiliation? We can get sidetracked to what is most important. And that is this that we're under the headship of Christ and how beautiful it is to be under his headship. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you're here for the first time today and you're looking at me and you say, who are you? Man, I'm just, I'm a pastor. That is my calling. I have been saved by grace. That is my only hope. I am not the authority in this church. Christ is I am not the head of this local church Christ is you do not come and confess your sin to me and me put a blessing over you I'm not to be worshipped none of our pastors are to be worshipped we're not the head of the church and for those of you who have been around for a long time you say you're right about that but just so we're clear on it Jesus is the head of this body and Ephesians four fifteen through 16 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ for whom the whole body joined and held together. You get that? Joined and held together because he's a sustainer. We grow up together under this headship of Christ by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, we will not grow if we get caught up in the race, if we get caught up in the gender, if we get caught up in the occupation and we get caught up in the political affiliation. All of those matter. Hear me say that, they matter. And there's a proper context within dealing with those things. And it should be a biblical approach, which there's a lot of tension in that, I get. But if it becomes all about that and we lose that we are under the headship of Christ, that we stand in righteousness because of Jesus then we will not grow up together. We cannot grow as a body. So I wanna let you know that our motivation for growing is that we continue to submit ourselves to Christ because he is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that all of those who are in him might live. What does this mean? He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead means he rose from the grave and all those who are in him will rise too. And we will rise and be with him. This is the promise he gave, John eleven twenty three 23 through 27. who is coming into the world. And he did this so that in everything, he might be preeminent. This word preeminent means first. It means that he is chief. He holds first rank. He is of highest dignity. In your home, is he the chief or is mama the chief? Mama don't need to be the chief, man. Man, you don't need to be the chief. And kids don't need to be the chief. If you're in a home by yourself, you're not the chief. Jesus ought to be the chief in your life preeminent, first in all things. I mean, he's first in all things, but it's, are you recognizing this in your life? That's how you grow up in Christ. this is the place he wants in your life if you're an unbeliever today. He doesn't just wanna save you so he can just take you away from hell and you can just rest assured in that the rest of your life and live however you want. No, he wants to be first, which changes your whole life. And understand this, whether you believe it or not, no one can usurp his authority and power. Man, I hope you believe this, that Jesus is the head of the church. And then finally, number five, he is the redeemer of the new creation. Verses 19 and 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, God in the flesh, when he came, he was filled with the fullness of God. And being filled with the fullness of God, that means we beheld his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his love. And he did this that through him, he could reconcile to himself all things. Here's what this word reconcile means. It means to set up a relationship of peace not existing before. As Jesus came to be the redeemer of the new creation, He came to set up something that has never been before in your life, meaning a relationship with God the Father. This did not exist. It didn't happen just because you were born into this world. It didn't happen because you were raised in a home that read the Bible or sang songs together about Jesus or it didn't just happen because you are in the local church. No, it it, it happens when you die to your own selfishness and being under the headship of Adam and you trust in Jesus and that what he did on the cross was sufficient. It's all you need. And he reconciles, which means he gives you peace. Whereas before it was rebellion. You're saying, man, I gotta do something about my life. I gotta get it together. Things are chaotic. That's the rebellion. He can bring peace and order your steps. It also means a restoration of a relationship of peace which has been disturbed, which is a great picture here that we see of the first Adam when they were walking with God in the garden and then they ate of the fruit and rebelled and went against him and things were disturbed. But yet Jesus comes and he went to a tree and he gave his life on a tree so that us trusting what he did on that tree brings us into a right relationship so that it's no longer disturbed but yet it's whole, it's complete. We can enjoy it every day walking on this earth. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's so much to unpack there, Uh, we were far off. We've been brought near. What were we brought near by? The blood of Jesus. The the thought of blood may make you sick, but when it comes to the blood of Jesus, there's nothing more beautiful. And in order for peace to be made, Jesus had to submit himself to the greatest hostility of man and the wrath of God. And he did so. When he came, all he had to do is present himself before his creation and creation would take care of the rest. Do you know that it was God's plan? To put a son on the cross, do you know how he established that plan, how he carried out that plan? He sent a son on earth, and he let creation do the rest. It wasn't that God was inactive, no his plan was, was filled, fulfilled through Christ. but yet Jesus presents himself before man, and they say, "We want to kill you. We physically want to kill you." And they physically killed him, which reveals what's in our hearts naturally. You say, "I would never kill Jesus, but if we were in that time frame, why would you be any different? to follow through with what your heart is saying, kill him, kill him. He says he's the Christ. He's the true headship. No, our headship is in Adam. He is not the Messiah. And they naturally did what their hearts led them to do. He submitted himself to the hostility of man and the wrath of God. He paid for real sin at the cross by making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to pick up on that because many times we can read familiar passages and we don't see it but I hope you see it here, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, it was the Romans who were the ones who made crosses. They were equivalent to our electric chairs today, extreme instruments of death. But it says here, by the blood of his cross, not the Roman's cross, not the Jews cross who shouted crucify him, but his cross. Why is it his cross? Well, Jesus answered it for us before he ever went to the cross. John 10:17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. What does that mean? That means that Jesus could have called down angels. He could have said, the cross, no way. Do you think I'm just gonna stand here and allow you to beat me and be bloodied and torture me on a cross and die? Not gonna do it. But it wasn't man's plan for him to go to the cross. Man thought he was in charge, but it was God who was over all of it because God was gonna pour down his wrath on his son so that all of those who trust in Jesus would not have to stand underneath the weight of his wrath and be crushed one day. It means that you can stand in victory. You can stand with great hope and that you can go in confidence before the father all because of what Christ did for you. He's the redeemer of the new creation. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter 2, 24 points it out. By his wounds, you have been healed. Have you been healed by the wounds of Jesus? Is your hope found in Christ? Are you a new creation? Well, how do I know? Well, do you believe that God came in the flesh, that being Jesus? He did that 2,000 years ago. Do you believe he's creator of all things? He created all these things that... If you'll trust that he did indeed create all things and all things have a purpose and he is the sustainer of all creation, he's holding it together. If you believe this, you can believe that he is indeed in control even when things seem out of control around you. And do you believe that he's the head of the church, that it's not your authority, but his authority in which he leads and which we can grow together in this body of believers if we believe that he is the head. And finally, do you confess that he is the redeemer? that what he did on the cross is final. It was good and only he could do it. I'm here to tell you that if you're not a follower of Jesus, no one else could go to the cross for you. No one else can do any good work for you that would allow you to stand before an almighty, righteous God. By his love, he sent his son. Do you trust in Jesus? If you say, I wanna trust in Jesus today, you say, okay, this is who Jesus is. And you've answered it in five ways according to the scriptures. I I wanna trust in Jesus. Then there's a couple ways uh, in which we can follow up with this. But before we follow up, here's what you do. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. You confess your sin. You make the good confession. If you believe it in your heart, these things, confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Would you confess today that Jesus is Lord and be saved? We'd love to follow up with you myself and other pastors, we're gonna be standing up front in just a moment. We're here because of this. So this is no inconvenience. We would love to talk with you, love to meet with you more about following Jesus. To all the Christians in the room, I urge you that you would be praying in the next few minutes for those who may not know Jesus, but their hearts pound and they wanna know more. Would you pray? And would you pray for yourself that you would be a bold witness to go out from this place and tell people about Jesus? Uh, If if you don't wanna come forward, check on that card, that connection card. Hey, I wanna know more about following Christ. That clues us in to contact you. We'd love to have that discussion. In fact, uh, as of recent, we've we've had more people checking that off, which is exciting. And and it's good to know that you trust us and giving us that information. We wanna follow up with you. So you follow as the Lord so leads to the church. We have much to celebrate, but if this isn't true, we have nothing to celebrate grateful that this is true and that we will celebrate this truth as we continue forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. We pray your blessings, Lord. Now, as we sing and as we continue to pray and bear testimony, we work in the hearts of the people here today it is most important that we can answer the question who is Jesus, that we know the answer and that we can bear this testimony before others. That's why you've put us here. That's why we've been here 32 years and and why you're gonna have us here by your will for years to come. May we be faithful in this testimony in Jesus' name. Amen.